Welcome to the Kook Center Podcast, and here's your host. Don't, 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 Michael Preston. We all kind of felt like Homer did a little bit uh, after that football game on Saturday. Welcome to the Coop Center Hour. I am Michael Preston joining you. Brad Denny from Speak of the Devil podcast will be coming up in just a little bit to talk about the Arizona State Sun Devils and how their season is going currently sitting 4-4 four and four after a similarly heartbreaking defeat at the hands of the Oregon Ducks last weekend. We'll also talk to Brian Anderson a little bit about uh, more about what went on in that Stanford game last week. Uh, offensively with Luke Falk, but a little bit of a regression from him, but against a very good defense in Stanford. So we'll talk to Brian a little bit more about that. And as always, we wrap things up with our Dunderhead of the Week and ask Michael anything. Uh, You know, where do you really start with this one? I I think I want to get out of the way and say first that this is a football team that we have we're not used to seeing this kind of performance out of Washington State football the last decade. Going down to the wire with the number eight team in the country at home, and should probably be pointed out, had opportunities earlier in the game to put yourself further ahead without the help of officiating or even without those officiating screw ups, however you want to view them. We can talk about that right now. I mean, yeah, were there some screw-ups? Yeah, probably from the officials. I don't know if there was quite enough evidence to overturn Parker's uh, Parker Henry's interception return for a touchdown. That was close. Ivan McLennan's fumble recovery, again, really close. I certainly thought that was a fumble recovery. But even without those things going your way, Washington State actually had to blow chances on offense to let Stanford win this football game. They had to stall out in the red zone three times. They had to stall in the red zone three times. And this is after that offense came out and looked awful. They looked bad. Really bad. Really, really, really bad. So, it's, you know, they they had an opportunity to win that football game without the refereeing screw-ups. Is it disheartening that it happened? Yeah, sure. But I think what I'm more concerned with this week, or at least more happy about, is the fact that Washington State had a chance to win a football game against the number eight team in the country, and a Stanford Cardinal team that deserves to be the number eight team in the country. You saw why they were in the six weeks leading up to this game, and you saw it a little bit on Saturday, why they are the number six or number eight team in this country, I beg your pardon. You saw that. And Washington State went punch for punch with them, went 15 rounds, and at the end they just couldn't deliver the knockout blow. This was probably a game, if you want to use a boxing analogy, this was probably a game Washington State was going to have to win by knockout in the early rounds. They were going to have to put some distance between themselves and Stanford. The defense did their job in that first half. They held Stanford to three points 
for 35 minutes and 45 seconds. Stanford had three points for 35 minutes and change. I can't ask much more of them than that. I mean, I can ask zero. (laughs) But realistically, out of that defense for the first 35 minutes of the game, I can't can't ask for any more than that. And so we're at a point, or where we're at with this game, is that realistically, the blame for the loss in this game kind of has to go to the offense, doesn't it? Eric Powell kicked three field goals that were less than 30 yards in length. He kicked three field goals less than 30 yards in length. 23, 28, and 28. You got to finish those drives. You finish one, you get four more points out of one. Just one of them. And it's a different ball game. You get points out of two of them. You get eight more points, and it's completely different. And I know we're going backwards and we're playing a whole lot of coulda, woulda, shoulda. But you just feel like in that first half when WSU had a chance to really put their foot on the gas and stomp down on Stanford's throat on offense, they didn't do it. Three field goals in the second quarter. 8.41 to go, 3.45 to go as time expired. Man. That's what Mike Leach is so angry about. That's what Gay Marks is so angry about. Those missed opportunities in the first half to really put some distance between you and Stanford because you knew the Cardinal were going to come out and adjust. And they did. You give credit where it's due to David Shaw, as Jeff said on Monday. You give him credit where it's due. Kevin Hogan ran the ball for more yards than he has run all year. And it's not as if Kevin Hogan is not a running quarterback. He does have over 1,000 yards for his career at Stanford. He does run the ball a little bit. But he hasn't done it this year. WSU had a game plan to contain Christian McCaffrey. They mostly did that. It, It took an adjustment that no team has seen Stanford make this year for them to get back in the ball game and to win it. That's what it took to beat Washington State for Stanford. They had to make an adjustment they have not had to make all year. They had to make an adjustment no one has seen them make all year. They had to start giving Kevin Hogan control and letting him run the football. That's what it took for them to win this football game. Are you? I'm a little worried about that going into this week with Mike Bercovici. We'll get to that with Brad here in a little bit. But... When you realize what Stanford had to do to beat this defense and how well prepared this defense was to come out and play the Cardinal. Again, I go back to those drives in the second quarter. You gotta finish one. And then maybe Stanford's pressing even a little bit more. And maybe Kevin Hogan throws another interception or you know, Kevin Hogan throws an interception or two again. He didn't look great on Saturday, except when he was running the ball. He threw it in there. He was 10 for 19 for 86 yards. I <laughs> Force him to throw more. You get ahead by a little bit more. Force him into the passing game. That's why Mike Leach is so mad. That's why Gabe Marks is so mad. Like I said earlier, those drives, you've got to finish them. 
And some, I, 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 the one nice thing I've seen from this game is I have not seen a lot of blame laid at the feet of Eric Powell. Eric Powell did what he was supposed to do. He went out and he made five or six field goals. You'd barely expect a professional kicker to make six field goals in a game. And I realized that the kick to win the game was inside of one of the ones he had kicked earlier. It was closer than one of the ones he kicked earlier. But I can't ask for much more from a guy who has never kicked in that situation before. He's never been in a pressure situation like that before. He's a college kicker. They're going to miss one from 40-plus eventually. And again, as Jeff said, unfortunately, it was the one with the worst timing. I can't lay any blame at his feet. He did exactly what he was supposed to do when all those drives started out. He went and got them points. But you finally saw this offense struggle. Luke Falk throw two interceptions and two bad ones. Especially that second one. You talk about John Thompson not getting off that block all you want, but... Man, dude, look over there. See it coming. Thompson really should have gotten on that block a little bit more, but that was a really good play by the Stanford defender, but... That's hard, man. That's real tough. To throw that pick at that point in the game. But this team did something, and I think it says a lot about where they are. Is in previous you know, incarnations of this football team, A, they wouldn't have been in it with the number 8 team in the country. But B, even if they had been in it with a superior opponent, which let's face it, a number of years ago, wasn't that good of a football team to begin with. You're down two points with under two to go and a timeout left. You think any other team would have at least gotten down the field in a position to win that football game? Nah. This team's got that steely resolve you've been begging for out of this football team for years and years and years. Again, our favorite word on this show, the stones to go down there and to just say, you know what? I need one damn drive. I need to put together one damn drive. I need to get down there as close as I can for my kicker, or I need to punch it into the end zone to beat the number eight team in the country. And they at least did the first thing. They did that. And they had a chance with four seconds left to go in the game to beat the number eight team in the country. And a team that should be number eight in the country, now down to number nine in the country. We have not seen this kind of resolve from a football team in years. We haven't seen the kind of talent on this football team in over a decade. From where they were at the beginning of the year to where they are now, I think it's very hard to say that you saw it coming. To say that you saw this team in early September to where they are now. That you could see that transition to five and three through eight games, four games to go left in the year, four very winnable football games left this year. This is a different ball team. This is a different football team. You have a sophomore quarterback who's ready to go out there, take command of this offense, march his team down the field on each and every possession. You have a defense that's playing absolutely lights out at times. 14 turnovers so far this year. On pace for 21, they had 8 last year. 
13 more turnovers. Just that one extra turnover a game. So important. So, so important. And I'm even doing the math. No, it is about one extra turnover a game. That one extra turnover a game. So important. To either giving yourself good field position for your offense and getting some extra points or just stopping a drive from the other team. But I think what's most important for me that you get out of that game, and I realize we don't want to play the moral victory game, and I'm not saying that this is a moral victory. But Washington State looked like they belonged on that field with Stanford. They looked like a team that deserved to be out there that should be that should be out there that should be able to battle with one of the best teams in the country and they looked ready to do it they looked motivated to do it and they looked ready to go out there and do it that defense that first half you can't say enough about how well they played you can't say enough about how well the defensive linemen played how well the linebackers played how well every receiver was covered for Stanford. Every time Kevin Hogan threw the ball, there was somebody there ready to tackle the receiver. Just over four yards an attempt for Kevin Hogan. Sure, blame some of it on the rain, but a lot of that had to do with the defense. You knew Stanford was going to get their points eventually, but they did their best to keep their team in it for as long as they possibly could. And they kept them in it till the end, quite frankly. Three points in the first 35 minutes. Took Stanford 35 minutes to score a touchdown. And if I told you that earlier in the week, you would have assumed WSU could have easily won this game over a top 10 team. But they didn't. The offense looked like an offense that finally, for the first time this year, was seeing a really, really good defense. And Stanford's got a really, really good defense. They finally looked like that. When they got into the red zone, Stanford bent. They didn't break. And again, we're playing the coulda, woulda, shoulda game, and I hate it. But you gotta feel just one of those field goals in the first half gets punched in for a touchdown. Changes the complexion of the game a little bit. Get Stanford down by more points. They get desperate. They start throwing the ball. Kevin Hogan is a good passer, but he wasn't on Saturday. Force him into more of that. Take Christian McCaffrey completely out of the game in terms of rushing. Game looks different, man. Looks a lot different. And credit to Eric Mele and the special teams. They didn't kick once at Christian McCaffrey. Because <laughs> you know he's got the moves to house one, man. And just don't even bother risking it. I said this all week. You are stupid if you don't just kick it to the up back. Just kick it to the up back and let the 240-pound guy hurt you if he does. Because if he does, you got no... bit. Just put the kicker out there. Kick it out of the back of the end zone if he doesn't give up a touchdown every time. Because if you let him score, just why even bother? But they did it. They executed a great game plan. And I think you saw that frustration boil over with everybody. They knew they should have won that football game. And quite frankly, they should have. They should have won the football game. And think about what I'm saying. Washington State University should have beat a top 10 team. Kind of refreshing to hear, isn't it? That's really refreshing to hear. I have a hard time being sad about what happened on Saturday. I really do. You can't feel sad about that 
seeing a team with that kind of resolve, that kind of hard work, the kind of fortitude it showed to on that final drive, still go down there after so much adversity early in that drive. They played awful that first part of that drive. And they got down there, had a chance to win the ball game. Wasn't meant to be. But Washington State was in a game and should have beat one of the best teams in the country, best team in the conference right now. But we move on now. Four games to go, one win to get you bowl eligible with four games to go. That's pretty neato. And all four of these games are very winnable. And in fact, it starts this week with a 12-30 kick against the Arizona State Sun Devils in Pullman. We're going to talk to a man who knows this football team really well, Brad Denny from the Speak of the Devil podcast, formerly of House of Sparky. Guys, I tell you what, this guy knows his stuff about ASU. It's coming up next here on the Cook Center Hour. Back here on the Cook Center Hour, uh, and it is Arizona State Game Week. We have just learned that uh, game will be sold out for Dad's weekend, so everybody's dad uh, will be sneaking gin in their Starbucks cup into the game, or maybe that's just what my dad did. I don't know about everybody else's. Joining us to talk about the Arizona State Sun Devils is the host of the Speak of the Devils podcast, previously of House of Sparky, but he still does a great job with his podcast every week. Uh, Mr. Brad Denny joining us from Pahonix. And uh, Brad, I, I'm, I'm not, I'm, you can't see the signs I'm giving you over the phone, so you can't take any of them. I hope, I hope that's okay. Uh, I think that that might be okay, but you know, if somebody, uh, you know, every, everybody does, you know, even though it's a dirty little secret, apparently. I don't, I, if, my, we're not going to talk about that at all, but basically Mike Leach, he's going to throw the ball. You pretty much know what's coming. So it doesn't really matter as much against Washington State anyhow. Um, Brad, first of all, let's talk about uh, just where Arizona State is overall right now. 4-4 uh, four and four on the year, 500. Uh, probably losses to teams, at, at least at the beginning of the season, we might have expected them to lose to. And kind of wins in the games, maybe at the beginning of the season, we probably expected them to win. So what's the general feeling you think right now? Uh, for most Sun Devil fans with where this football team is at this juncture? Uh, massive disappointment. Um, okay. This is a team that came into the year ranked uh, number 15 in the, the AP poll. Um, a lot of people picking the Sun Devils to be not only South champs, but also legitimately contend for the Pac-12 South title. Um, and here we are uh, eight games in uh, with the team at, at 500. Uh, I think what's really gotten most of the fans is disillusioned uh, as they are, has been the manner in which the Sun Devils have been losing these games. Um, so the Oregon game is a prime example of how ASU continually reverts to some bad habits of, of that it, over the last couple of years under Todd Graham had really kind of gone away, just kind of the self-destructive tendencies, um, bad penalties, just uh, untimely mistakes, uh, it, it just the, the manner of which the Sun Devils have really been kind of defeating themselves, even in a game um, that like the USC game where they – on uh, the bottom line, lost by a big margin, but we're really uh, in that game in the first half. 
uh, but just a couple of just untimely turnovers, mm-hmm. really kind of bad turnovers, avoidable. Um, just really kind of help uh, put the, the kibosh on any kind of efforts there. Um, overall, this is a, a program that has gone from top 15 to now just kind of struggling, mm-hmm. trying to figure out which of the last four games they're going to you know, get the two wins needed to make to get bowl eligibility. Um, so from it's kind of been a fall from grace, but uh, yeah, the Sun Devil fans are, are not, none too pleased as the attendance figures have, figures have bared out the last couple of weeks. We've got two teams that by S&P rank this week are actually right next to each other. Arizona State's at 69, Washington State's at 70. Um, in terms of pretty even matchups over the last few weeks, this one figures to be about as close as it gets for ASU, maybe except for that Oregon game. Um, but how are, how are, how do you think the play, cause you're, you're close to the program there. You talk to players and coaches that Oregon loss for as devastating as I think Washington state's loss to Stanford was last week. Oh boy. Was that one in Tempe probably even worse? Oh, uh, absolutely. I mean, that was an absolute gut punch yeah. uh, to, to the Sun Devils. Uh, of course, you know, just the crazy nature of the Pac-12 and especially the Pac-12 South. Uh, Sun Devils coming into that Thursday game were, are, were still very much in the, the South uh, Division uh, contention. Uh, it was their, their night where they were honoring uh, the veterans and were wearing the special Pat Tillman uniforms. So there was that extra extra juice and energy flowing. Um, and of course, a, a team that might not be Oregon, but it's still Oregon. You know, mm-hmm. it still has some cachet uh, on a national scale, and it's a team that ASU has not beaten in, in a long time. And just the manner, you know, it's kind of going back to my previous point. Just the manner in which they continually uh, gave that game away uh, with a, uh, uh, missed twenty-six yard field goal in the first half. Uh, they had two running backs in Demario Richard, Kalen Blige, just absolutely pounding the Ducks all night long. But for the last twenty-two plays of the fourth quarter on which they needed to run out of the clock with a touchdown lead, or even in overtime, none, neither of those players got a single touch. Mm-hmm. Uh, some mystifying play calling, um, you know, some, some Seahawk-esque play calling in overtime <laughs> with the goal line there. Uh, it just, you know, it's a lot of just self-destructive uh, tendencies out there just kind of, kind of all made it just an absolute downer uh, of, uh, of a, a Thursday night for the Sun Devils, just, you know, effectively taking them out of the South race. Uh, and just kind of just almost a perfect encapsulation of everything that has gone wrong in 2015. Mm-hmm. We'll talk about a little bit about Mike Bercovici, the senior quarterback. We saw him uh, last year, I believe, when they played Washington State. He was filling in for Taylor Kelly uh, near the end of the year there. How, how would you rate his performance so far this year? 19 touchdowns, 7 interceptions, completing just a little less than 60% of his passes. How is he doing this year? Uh, give him a grade from A to F on uh, his performance so far through eight games. Uh, I'd probably uh, borderline C plus, B minus. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, it, there is has been a lot of stuff around him that has uh, impacted him um, before or uh, earlier this spring. Uh, the team's top returning wide receiver, Cam Smith, a great deep threat last year. Um uh, suffered a knee injury. He's been out for the year. Uh, they've had a, a, some shuffling on the offensive line. Both they've had two new tackles this year who uh, have had kind of a revolving door policy in terms of stopping pass rushers. I mean, it's really been <laughs> really been hit, and knocked around under fire a lot. Yeah. Um, Mario Richard, Kalen Bellage, uh, the running backs have really have each had uh, missed missed time due to injury or illness. Uh, the wide receivers, as I mentioned, uh, and, and even the tight ends have had issues lately with with drop passes. So there's a lot of stuff around him that's kind of contributed to a less stellar performance, but 
is for Berkovici himself. Um, he has all the tools, tremendous intangibles, a cannon arm, um, deceptive mobility. I mean, he's not a guy that's going to run a, a, a tremendous amount, uh, but he just uh, all season long is it, 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 a guy that is a kind of stiff and rigid and not playing with the kind of swagger, that gunslinger attitude that made him so successful in his three starts last year. Uh, is kind of almost the, my my take on the whole situation with Berkovici is that he's a guy that has been sticking around the program for four years, mm-hmm. backing up Taylor Kelly when he had options on the table to, to head out and, and uh, lead another program. He loved being at Sun Devil. He, he stayed uh, here in the Valley, uh, and it is almost like he pushed all his chips into this one year trying to make everything absolutely perfect. And even you can just break it down on a play-by-play basis. You just see him kind of be rigid, trying to make the perfect throw, everything trying to be perfect. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, when a quarterback's trying to do that every single time, it's just going to lead to a very uneven performance. So he'll rifle a perfect pass down the field for 25-yard gain and then just roll, throw in the next uh, play, try to force into triple coverage. Mm-hmm. He thinks he has confidence to get in there and uh, make that perfect throw and just really is, uh, contribute to a very uneven fun-level offense where last week, though, they put up 742 yards of total offense but were undone by some, some key execution mistakes, including – uh, a bad mistake by Berkovici, thinking he had uh, an offside penalty, a free play, threw uh, uh, basically a jump ball that was intercepted yeah. leading to the drive that the Ducks ultimately converted for the, the touch on the send to overtime. Uh, it's just a guy that has it's kind of it's kind of a, another microcosm of the year with a lot all the all the pieces are in place for Berkovici to succeed uh, from the quarterback position, but he just there's one or two things that are off every game that prevent him from reaching that potential. You talked a little bit about the offensive line, Brad, about some issues up front. You look at Mike Berkovici's sack rate, uh, about 7.1% of dropbacks he's getting sacked on. That's a pretty high rate for a team like Arizona State that does throw the ball, but they don't throw it a ton, maybe like Washington State does. When you look at Washington State's defensive line, probably the strength of the defense uh, so far this year, that's got to be something that Todd Graham and company are really worried about this weekend. Yeah, as I mentioned with the two tackles um, so far this year, they, uh, they had three returning starters up in the middle that are very uh, stout and good and effective run blockers, uh, but they also have had some, some issues uh, in pass protection. But the tackles have really been a, a sore spot for the Sun Devils. Mm-hmm. Uh, started off in the open against Texas A&M when they're just absolutely abused, um, especially by Miles Garrett, uh, just nine total sacks in that game. Uh, they've had some times where it looks like they were able to provide a good pocket, but overall the consistency has not been there. Uh, and that kind of uh, has a trickle-down effect in the, with Berkovici getting banged around a lot. Uh, he's starting to rush his, his throws a little bit, not going through the, the progressions that made him so successful a year ago. So mm-hmm. I would say, the pa- yeah, the pass protection is, is an issue. Um, I'm kind of almost surprised that they've kind of stuck with some of the guys. The, uh, Evan Goodman at left tackle, Billy McGee at right tackle, as long as they have they brought in a couple uh, studs in the last couple of recruiting classes, um, so I don't know if they're hesitant to, to maybe burn a red shirt. But, mm-hmm. um, but those two guys, those two uh, current tackles, have had their struggles, and especially with guys who uh, can use some speed and off the line of scrimmage, off the snap, they've really struggled with those type of guys. We keep talking about the offense a little bit, and I think ASU does have some weapons that uh, Washington State obviously needs to be concerned about. You talked about Demario Richard a little bit, the running back, averaging about 5.7 yards a touch. Uh, DJ Foster is always a threat to do something. We've seen him do that multiple years in a row. Who else does Washington State need to be worried about besides those two guys on offense? Is there anybody else that the defense really needs to keep their eye on to keep themselves from getting burned by somebody? Uh, I would say... Um 
on top of that list is uh, wide receiver Tim White. He's really, uh, Coach Graham today after practice called him the MVP of the team. And he, over the last several weeks, he's really lived up to that billing. He's a junior college transfer, just uh, absolute speedster. Uh, but he's starting to come into his own in terms of, of finding success on the uh, shorter or intermediate routes, uh, sure-handed threat, a guy that uh, just needs a steam, and he can really help um, uh, take a, the ball to the house. When the team lost Cam Smith to the knee injury, uh, that re- the first couple weeks, AC really struggled with, with the passing game, um, throwing balls uh, beyond a couple <laughs> yards downfield. Uh, with Tim White finally getting uh, settled and grooved to the offense I, after a hand injury suffered in fall camp, uh, he's really hit his stride, become a, a real go-to uh, presence uh, down to helping to stretch that defense. Mm-hmm. Uh, in turn, that's helped um, open up things up a little bit underneath for DJ Foster, tight end Cody Cole, uh, and the run game. Uh, another guy I'd like to mention, uh, Kalen Balage, coming off his first career 100-yard game um, last week against Oregon. Mm-hmm. Another guy that is just uh, kind of a physical freak, stands about 6'2", 6'3", 225, 230 pounds, but an absolute burner as well. Uh, still has tendency to, he's still very raw as a running back prospect, runs a little bit high, but um, he is uh, a guy that can uh, uh, can really bring a nice power and speed uh, w- uh, option out of the backfield. Uh, he re- absolutely destroyed uh, an unfortunate duck defensive back who tried to tackle him one-on-one in the open field uh, <laughs> a week ago. Um, but he, he's a guy that has tremendous upside of potential, and, and I really uh, think that if AC is going to have a chance today, uh, against Washington State, they're really going to need to rely on Bellage and Demario Richard to really control the ground game, just given kind of the shaky, inconsistent nature of their pass attack. Let's move over to the defensive side of the football a little bit here, Brad, and uh, a name that uh, quite a few Washington State fans are familiar with, and if they aren't, they probably should be, is Jordan Simone. He was actually on the Washington State football team uh, and is the brother of Geno Simone, a former Washington State wide receiver. Kid's just a really special talent at safety for Arizona State. What does he give that defense uh, back there? Is it confidence? Is it just knowing that there's someone back there that can clean up the mess? What does he do for this offense, or for that defense, rather, that's just uh, so important? Uh, well, he does provide a tremendous amount of, of leadership. Um, he's one of the team's most respected leaders, which is kind of impressive, Again, you know, as you mentioned, coming over to ASU, uh, walking on a team before getting a scholarship this past offseason. A real stout defender against the run, uh, also a guy that they like to bring up uh, into the box and make some plays behind the line of scrimmage mm-hmm. uh, in the number of TFLs this year. Uh, however, he has been uh, a liability I mean, uh, in coverage for most of the year over the last several weeks. Teams have been really scheming to get him in coverage. Uh, he's not, I mean, the, he's been getting a lot of, on a national scale, uh, publicity for his good play. I think it's a lot of statistically based because uh, really um, in coverage, he's been in a, a just uh, really having a, a real tough season. A uh, number of touchdowns he's given up, big plays um, against USC, UCLA, most in that uh, controversial touchdown against Oregon. Uh, there was another one where the receiver mm-hmm. was just able to flat out run by him. Uh, he has a lot of great intangibles. Uh, as I mentioned, kind of a, a, a real style tackler, but doesn't, he lacks that elite athleticism to really stay with uh, speedy wide receivers downfield. Uh, as I mentioned, teams are starting to scheme around that, getting him in a lot of one-on-one situations. Mm-hmm. And uh, the opposition really having success lately in beating ASU with the deep ball. Uh, that's something that uh, I really worry about, the, the Sun Devil secondary overall with a team that you know, threw out 40, 50, 60 times because um, about three-quarters of the Sun Devil secondary has been playing well below expectations so far this year. 
Well, that's a good thing to hear, I think, if you're a Washington <laughs> State fan. Uh, Brad, th- it's no secret what Arizona State's going to do on defense, and they're going to blitz. I mean, the linebackers rank number one in the country in havoc rate. They're going to get into the backfield, or they're going to try to get into the backfield. Uh, and against a Washington State line that's looked good at times, not as good at times uh, this year, that's probably going to be the key for this defense to keep or to try to keep Luke Falk and the Washington State offense at bay is they're going to have to get home to the quarterback because, like you said, the defensive secondary hasn't been playing great so far this year. So if the identity of Arizona State is to blitz, they're going to need to get home on Saturday, aren't they? Oh, absolutely, yeah. It's kind of uh, live by the blitz, die by the blitz, and that's kind of attributed to the Jekyll and Hyde nature of the Sun Devil uh, defense so far this year. I mean, at times they've been an outstanding unit. Uh, in spurts, uh, um, especially game, uh, against the ground game, uh, shutting down Paul Perkins, uh, uh, bottling up to, uh, Devontae Booker at 18 yards through three and a half quarters. Uh, it's just you know, the propensity to give up that big play because uh, they are able to generate a lot of havoc in that backfield, get, knock the quarterback around, uh, uh, get some sacks, some timely TFLs. But it's, the, the, it's that lack of consistency that every couple or every game, there's always a couple plays that they just. They fail to, to execute properly. They make some mistakes on the blitz uh, and just leave guys wide open downfield or leave themselves exposed for uh, open up a big hole for, uh, on the ground game. So it's good. I mean, it's a, develop, it's a young defense, especially in that, in that front seven. A lot of guys that uh, should project to have a mighty defense uh, in 2016, but in 2015, right now, they're just struggling to kind of get that consistency that is oh so key. And that's, again, it kind of goes back to another worry of just when you have a secondary that is. Uh, uh, Forest and has a propensity to, to really lose track of uh, coverage assignments downfield. That if, if those uh, blitzers aren't finding home, aren't, aren't finding a, a way to get uh, to disrupt Luke Falk, I think it could be a big day for the Cougars. So we talked about the defense, we talked about the offense, we kind of wrapped a nice little bow on Arizona State. Uh, this it's coming down to the wire for them this year, and uh, not an easy. Four games left for Arizona State either. You have at Washington State. Then they take Washington at home, which luckily for whatever reason, the Huskies and Cougs that we explored last year never play well on Tempe for God knows what reason. Then you have uh, the Territorial Cup, and then you go to Cal, not a gimme either. This game is kind of pretty darn crucial for ASU in terms of their bowl hopes uh, if they want to get to six wins on the year, isn't it? Because this is not an easy uh, slate to run for the rest of the year for him. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be uh, tough to, for the Sun Devils to reach bowl eligibility. I think um, looking at the schedule and where their opposition is right now, I, th- I like their chances um, uh, in their two home games against Washington and uh, Arizona. Uh, I'm really, really worried about uh, their ability to get a win um, with the, against the Cougars and, and Cal. I mentioned that while they've been very stout defensively against the run, uh, I just the, the pet teams that have success uh, with the pass have, have a, uh, the ability to kind of stretch that defense, find those weaknesses, and there are many um, downfield uh, for the Sun Devils. I think that uh, some Sun Devils will be exploited in those games. And then with the offensive inconsistent in previous years, the Sun Devils were able to, to win those those 52 to 45 type games. This year, I, the offense was still eight games in, trying to find an identity week after week. Todd Graham says we're a run first play action team, but the play calling and the execution really uh, stray away from that far too often. I just worry that Sun Devils will not be able to find a consistent. I think from a team going from top 15 preseason that 6-6 uh, six and six would be kind of almost best-case scenario at this point. Mm-hmm. 
we'll leave you with one more question, Brad. Uh, Bill Connolly's S&P makes this pretty much a coin flip in terms of win probability, a little bit of a lean towards Washington State, 57% to 43%. I wouldn't call that a huge margin. I'd pretty much call that a coin flip in college football. Uh, how do you see things playing out in Pullman on Saturday? Again, you know, we talked about Washington State has an offense that can exploit the weaknesses of Arizona State, but uh, they need to be able to contain the really good blitz of ASU and an ASU offense that, uh, again, the weaknesses are where the Cougars' strength are, but if they can get downfield against the weaker unit of WSU, the DBs, uh, they might be able to score some points. So I guess I want to ask you, give me a final score prediction uh, for Saturday on the Palouse. Uh, yeah, I think it's going to be an uh, interesting battle between two teams coming off absolute gut punches and you know, which team's able going to be uh, able to kind of shake that off and, and kind of execute their game plan. Uh, I think um, it's going to be a sad story for Sun Devil fans. I, I just don't see the Sun Devil offense being able to, and which is weird considering they had 742 yards a week ago, but I just don't, the offense still worries me. I, unless they get another um, uh, tremendous uh, contribution from Balazs and Richard, I just don't think that they're going to be able to keep up uh, scoring uh, with the Cougs. I think uh, Washington State probably holds serve at home somewhere uh, along maybe 38-24. If it makes you feel any better, I think we uh, we have familiarity with what it's like to uh, put up 740 yards of offense and lose a football game. <laughs> if it makes you feel any better. <laughs> uh, Brad Denny from Speak of the Devil here to talk about ASU. Thank you, sir. I appreciate the time. No problem. Anytime. Thanks. Back here on the Kook Center Hour, and a man who's, uh, he makes regular appearances now. He's a friend of the show and the friend of Michael Preston. He's a friend of everybody, Mr. Brian Anderson. Uh, Brian has his voice back today, finally, from Saturday's game, and I believe he has finally dried out. Is that true? Yeah, yeah, got, uh, got rid of the soggy clothes, voice is back, we're good to go. Okay, see, he's all dry, and his voice box is dry, too, for you, so he can talk about uh, Washington State football. Uh, let's talk about that game on uh, Saturday a little bit. We'll go to ASU year in a little while, but um, just from what you saw uh, in the stands, and I know, I know you rewatched a little bit of it, uh, how encouraging is that performance to you? Because, I mean, I've talked about that uh, to open the show, but this has to be something, like Jeff said earlier in the week in his article, this is something that's got to be really encouraging, uh, not just for the football team, but for fans of the football team. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, <clears throat> it's not just the play on the field, but it's also kind of encouraging to hear all the players be pissed off about it, you know, and after so many years of just kind of trying to take moral victories when you can, um, they certainly aren't happy with it. But I think as fans, we can be, you know, pretty pleased with their effort. I mean, mm -hmm. that, was, that was a phenomenal uh, game that they played on Saturday. 
We were talking a little bit before uh, we started the interview about Christian McCaffrey and, uh, you know, I mean, the guy was a Heisman Trophy candidate before he came to Pullman and he pretty much left Pullman with one big run. So outside of the 30-yard gain, WSU pretty much contained him to 80 yards uh, throughout then. And we talked a little bit about what they did uh, to kind of stop him from your observation. So explain for me what... Uh, what Washington State did to try and contain him because it also opened up the running game for Kevin Hogan later on once Stanford's coaches finally figured it out, right? Yeah, yeah. They, uh, I think it starts up front with the D-line and the push that they got on running plays and pass plays too. But, I mean, that push was just phenomenal. And, and every single one of those defensive linemen with the offensive linemen in front of them, which isn't really something that you'd expect going up against Stanford, you know, because they're just so – technically sound and gifted along the O-line. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, they, uh, I think Brock Heward made some comment uh, in, like, the second quarter or so that was just saying, you know, the D-line was playing behind the line of scrimmage, and they really were, and it was just all from that front push. Uh, the other thing that uh, kind of led to uh, Stanford's adjustments with Hogan in the second half, um, Alex Grinch's game plan was was really good, you know, and um, they, they would – they would have the linebackers up at the line of scrimmage and the D line behind the line of scrimmage on every single one play. And they just sold out. They just sold out in the front seven and then would have Shalom Luani and Taylor Talulu fill from safety pretty hard. Uh, they were really, really aggressive about it. And, you know, that, that worked really well for the first, you know, two and a half quarters or so, but, I mean, Stanford's a good team, and their coaches are excellent. They kind of mm-hmm. saw a weakness, and with how hard WSU was committing to stopping McCaffrey, which they, you know, that's not a terrible thing no, to do. They, yeah, they should um, be doing that, yeah. Yeah, you know, they, they, they saw how hard that flow was, and, you know, were able to, to put, put Hogan in some positions to make some big plays. And like we talked about before, it's not as if Kevin Hogan running the ball comes out of nowhere because he is the second leading rusher in Stanford history for a quarterback behind some dude named Andrew Luck. So it's not like Kevin Hogan running the ball is a huge surprise to people, but maybe it is a surprise because they had been leaning so heavily on McCaffrey. And this was really the first time he's done that all year. I don't think Kevin Hogan's running for that many yards uh, in like the previous five or six games combined, but they knew he yeah. he had wheels available to do it, so uh, they allowed him to do it. He his passing wasn't particularly good either. They had some really good coverage in the secondary too. Yeah, yeah. Just uh, back on Hogan for one other thing. Um, like uh, a lot of people are going to look at this and say, "Well, this is just uh, more indicative of w- WSU's lack of ability to control zone read." And, and I think that this is a different scenario than that. Um, you know, this was them selling all out on McCaffrey and getting caught. You know, they, they got caught. Yeah. And it, it's not like they were set up to defend zone read and missed it. They were set up and just selling out at something completely different. And the Stanford coaching staff made a really, really good adjustment and, and caught them. So, you know, it, it's yes, it's a running quarterback, but no, I, I don't think that this feeds into the same sort of. Um, you know, the Cougs can't defend zone read sort of thing that we've seen earlier uh, yeah. in the season. We've seen Luke Falk kind of feast on not as good defenses for most of the year, and he finally ran into a really good defense in Stanford. Probably the 
second best one he's going to face all year besides Washington, and it, he struggled a little bit through those two picks. Uh, two bad picks, one that uh, maybe John Thompson could have thrown a little bit of better block on, but uh, you know it looked like the cornerback was selling out to intercept that pass. We probably should have expected him to struggle a little bit more against Stanford, right? Because, I mean, their defense is just so good, and you can't continue at the pace that a redshirt sophomore was going at uh, for the rest of the season when you have the slog of the Pac-12 to go through. Yeah, this this was the best defense he's faced by far, but... Uh... Yeah, but not it, the other. I think uh, if you go back and you look at it, Oregon State, Oregon, Cal, those teams are all ranked like in the 80s at best uh, in S&P defense. So, and, and Stanford was in the 40s. They're probably a little bit higher now. But um, you, yeah, you aren't going to be able to. You aren't going to be able to complete. You know close to 80% of your passes and throw for 500 yards against a defense that's that good. No. And in those conditions that they had, to be mm-hmm. honest. I mean, players don't like to make excuses about conditions, but uh, throwing and catching a ball in the rain and the wind is a little bit harder than it is, you know, on a sunny day. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you could expect some troubles in um, really the – I'm not. I'm not even really sure that Stanford did anything too special. They just kind of beat themselves for that whole first quarter. I yeah. Mean, you know, guys were open, kind of missing them, um, or the offensive line got beat a couple times, and, and you know, and it wasn't really anything extraordinary that Stanford was doing. Mm-hmm. You know, it was it was just a lot more them not yeah. being able to uh, execute. Let's move on to this Saturday a little bit. Uh, Arizona State's coming into town, and actually in the S&P rankings, these teams are right next to each other right now. So from that standpoint, a pretty even matchup. S&P also basically makes it a coin flip, a little bit of a favor uh, to Washington State. But there's one thing ASU's really going to do on defense, and that they are going to blitz the hell out of Washington State. They're number one in havoc rate for their linebackers. They blitz all the freaking time. And we saw the offensive line struggle a bit at times on Saturday. They've really got to pick it up this week because if they just give Luke Falk a few seconds, every he doesn't even need to have more than three seconds, with all that blitzing, he's going to be able to find somebody open pretty quick if Arizona State's bringing six guys at a time, aren't, isn't he? Yeah, that's that's really that's the name of the game this Saturday. Uh, you know, looking at Arizona State's, blitzing you know I, I think i've seen it cited somewhere that you know it's over 50 percent of the time they're going to blitz and yeah you know it, it could be like 75 percent of the time against a passing team like wsu but their uh second leading sack guy is jordan simone at db so it's <laughs> not so it's not just front seven pressures that they're doing they're bringing guys from all over the place and if you start getting your secondary involved in blitz packages um that leaves you very exposed to a quarterback that can get the ball out quickly. And that's kind of what uh, WSU needs to do. You know, Oregon State actually did a lot of blitzing. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they blitzed and played man coverage behind it. And uh, Sataki is, like, really, really, really competent over there, defensive coordinator for Oregon State. And he had some pretty decent packages lined up. They just weren't good enough to execute them and land them. So Falk's got to have that, that tempo up like he did against Oregon State and get that ball out quickly. Because uh, the receivers should have some room to run, and they should be able to beat Oregon, Arizona State's secondary and uh, man-covered situations. 
you know, we talked to Brad Denny, who does the Speak of the Devil podcast, and he actually said one of the deficiencies on the ASU defense this year has been the secondary. They haven't looked uh, as good as they have in the past, and I think you go back to that Oregon State game like you were talking about. If you get Dom Williams or Gabe Marks in one-on-one coverage, you're probably going to end up just throwing the ball up there for them and counting on them to come down with it because most of the time, if you get them on in one-on-one coverage, you know Gabe Marks has got his man beat because he can go up and get the football, and you know Dom Williams probably has his man beat just because of his raw athleticism and how quick he is. So if Luke Falk sees that right out of the gate, if he sees no safety help for either one of those guys, he can probably be pretty confident that's where he's going with the football even if he sees a blitz coming. Yeah, that's that's one way to go about it. Uh, you know, mo- most of the most of the route concepts in this offense have uh, what essentially could be a hot route anyway. So you don't even have to worry about audibling or checking into a hot route if you see a blitz coming. Most mm-hmm. most of their pass concepts already have one of those. You know, and it's just it's just got to be on the wide receiver and on the quarterback to be on the same page to get it out quick. Um, so I, I would expect a little bit more intermediate sort of passing rather than just throwing it up deep. But, I mean, certainly if they're going to man up on Dom, I I would take that vertical route with Dom, you know, 10 times out of 10. Mm-hmm. We talked a little bit about uh, the defense, obviously, earlier and their great performance against uh, probably one of the better offenses they'd seen all year in Stanford. Arizona State's offense still kind of trying to find an identity. Mike Berkovici can run the ball a little bit. They have good uh specialists they have dj foster wide receiver a couple of good running backs uh their performance needs to be pretty good again this week doesn't it to give or, or to give washington state a chance or is it okay to kind of fall back a little bit into the mold of that arizona game so to speak where you can give up up to 30 points because you're probably pretty confident wsu is going to score that much yeah the, i mean It'll be interesting to see what the defense does because this is a completely different type of offense that they're going to go against this week. And, um, you know, it falls along the lines more of uh, an Oregon or an Arizona than it does a Stanford. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because, I mean, Berkovici is going to – he's going to read option you. Right? That's part of their package. They do it all the time. Um, you know, so – whether or not WSU can handle that, I mean, again, is kind of a question mark. So we're going to see how well they step up. Uh, and DJ Foster's been doing been doing pretty decent things out of the wide receiver position. And, uh, you know, I, I think the real home run threat is uh, the UCLA transfer, Devin Lucian. Berkovici mm-hmm. uh, played high school football with the kid, and it just kind of seems in crunch situations that's kind of who they like to go to. Is there anything you're a guy who uh, played some played some football? Uh, is there anything really to, you know, a lot of folks like to say sometimes that you know, oh, it was a huge letdown, and coming off a letdown, uh, team doesn't play as well. Is there really anything to that, or is it pretty easy for guys who are you know in the late teens, early twenties to get over that pretty quickly? and kind of move on because these are two football teams that are coming off of really devastating losses and we can get into an argument about whose was worse, but Washington state loses on a missed field goal to the number eight team in the country. And ASU just absolutely gave a game away uh, to Oregon uh, in three overtimes last week. Is there anything to that letdown type mentality or is it pretty easy for kids these, this age to kind of get over it and move on? No, man, letdown spots happen. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they happen all the time in college football. 
but I, it really depends on the locker room strength and you know and, and uh, what the mentality of the team is and I think that we've seen throughout this season that Leach has these guys uh, pretty well focused on one game at a time you mm-hmm. know they, they've done it pretty consistently throughout the year wins or losses and uh, I, I wouldn't be that concerned about WSU being in a letdown spot mm-hmm. you know just just because throughout this whole season they've they've proved pretty consistent it seems like they've bought into that concept mm-hmm. um as far as arizona state that's a, <laughs> that was a bad one that they had last thursday yeah um so you know they've had some extra time to kind of go ahead and shelf that and move on and get ready for washington state and their trip up north but that that was a pretty devastating loss on the on their part mm-hmm Brian Anderson, uh, he just gave you the rest of his voice, and I hope you're thankful for it because uh, he's smarter than every one of us, and uh, I I don't think he's going to be able to talk for the rest of the day. So, Brian, uh, thank you very much, sir, and uh, hopefully uh, we're talking to you in a few weeks when Washington State's bowl eligible. Oh, yeah, you got it. All right, big guy. We'll see you in Vegas. Uh, When we come back, Dunderhead of the Week, Ask Michael Anything, coming up next on the Coop Center Hour. Dinnerhead of the week time, and we're actually going to kind of mesh things this week with a Ask Michael Anything question, but I want to make it my Dunderhead because I have a larger point to make about it. It's from at Jimmy the Coog, Jimmy Morgan. Should the outcome of the Miami-Duke game be overturned? If you didn't see the ending of that game, I mean, the, I can't really do it justice to the video. Basically, there were a lot of laterals. A number of times Miami should have been called down on the final kickoff of the game, and a number of blocks in the back that didn't get called, 12th man on the field that didn't get called. And Miami won the game on that just stupid mini-lateral kickoff return. The ACC acknowledged on Sunday that the officials got it wrong, Duke should have won the football game, and four officials were suspended. But, I don't think you can overturn the outcome of that football game. And it's not a gambling thing like in Vegas, you know, it's not anything like that, I think. It's a matter of the can of worms gets opened so bad, so badly, if if you do that. The can of worms gets opened to other interpret, you know, other, oh God, of, that's, it, it, it looks, it looks bad. And I don't think any money swung on it anyway. At least I can see minus six and a half to uh, to Duke, I believe, in that game. So I don't think any money changed hands. But you open up that, that huge can of worms for a conference to come in and say, 
that no, this is not what actually happened. This will not be the outcome of the game. It will change. Because then you have to get into a discussion about what is what is acceptable to go back and look at. What, what, how severe does the penalty have to be? And you kind of have to dance around and figure out what that is. But then again, nobody's going to be... So say you do set that and you overturn a number of games and then you don't overturn another one. Well, people aren't going to be happy about that that you didn't overturn theirs when you overturned another one. So as much as it sucks to say that unfortunately all the ACC can do is suspend the officials, tell Duke they got it wrong, that they should have won the football game, I'm sorry... All the ACC can do is suspend the officials, tell Duke they got it wrong, and tell them they're sorry. I mean, I really, you, you can't set, it's so hard to set in stone what is acceptable to go look at in terms of what can we overturn? What what can, what can What is such an egregious error that we can overturn it? Because then fans who fall on the side of having an error that's on the we're not going to overturn it side of the line kind of feel jilted, and so it's just easier to say, we will never overturn any result of a football game. Ever. We will apologize till the cows come home. We will suspend officials. We will do everything in our power to placate you, but we will not overturn the outcome of a game. Period. And I know I've already doomed Washington State to something like that in the next 10 years by saying that, that they should never overturn the outcome of a football game. Remind me I said this when that happens, so that that way... I can be reminded that when I'm screaming and yelling about overturning the outcome of a football game that I once said 10 years ago when I was young and stupid that they should never do it. Ask Michael anything. Oh, as always, it's my favorite segment of the week, Ask Michael Anything. And we got a great batch of questions this week. Let's start out from with one from at Marcusol Kernis or Chemist and hashtag BDSU. I like that hashtag. Would you root for the Huskies if it meant that WSU would go to the Pac-12 championship game? This goes back to that discussion we had a few weeks ago about W or UW cheering for Utah when they beat Oregon, and would I would never root for the UW, with a couple of very rare exceptions. That's one of them. If UW winning meant that WSU would go to the Pac-12 championship game, then yes, I would root for that. But I can't really envision a way that would ever happen, considering the Apple Cup probably always going to be in the last weekend of the year. So you want to win the game anyway. From at SSFC Footy 13, Snarky Mark, will my shoes ever dry out from Saturday? Probably not. You should use the old method I used to use with my goalie gloves. Like when I played goalie in soccer, I put them over the uh, forced air vent in the living room. My mom loved that. To at WBS13, ask me six questions. I'm going to get to the two important ones, the two I liked best. Why don't we run four verts every play? See, I keep saying that, and nobody's listening to me. Probably because I'm an I would make an awful offensive coordinator. And where are my pants? Hopefully off after Saturday. Hopefully off. At Coogs Zoo Coog, did Stanford having the only shot in the pack at the CFP affect how we got screwed by Pac-12 graphs? Probably not. I, you know, you you don't ever want to get caught up in some conspiracy like that where the Pac-12 is actually telling referees that if you can affect the outcome of the game and let Stanford win the football game, you should do that. Uh, and ethically, it's bad. And I would, yeah, that, I, I don't really buy into that kind of thing. I know a lot of folks do, but I don't buy into it. At M. Hoagie, Matt Hoagland, since no one else at SB Nation can, will you explain an undefeated Iowa to my six-month-old son? Nobody can, Matt. 
I, mean, I, I don't want to live in a world where I was undefeated. Do you? That That's just not a world I want to live in. We can talk about politics all we want, but th there's one thing we can all agree on. We don't want to live in a world where Iowa is undefeated and they have an actual case to get to the CFP. Even though they don't because their strength of schedule is about like what my two-year-old cousin could put up. At the Martin Party Defend Pullman last week, you showed us all your famous Egg McMuffin and Bourbon combo. Do you have any other pairings, culinary recommendations? My roommates and I actually did this sober once. Cooked elk meat and a chocolate frosty from Wendy's. It wasn't bad. We had like 10 pounds of elk meat to cook. It was going to go bad in the freezer. And we put chocolate frosty on it once from Wendy's and it was good. Not kidding. Washington State 38, Arizona State 28. This weekend in Pullman, I think WSU's got the weapons and not quite as demoralizing a loss as ASU had to put up with against Oregon. We'll see you next week on the Gook Center Hour.